This morning we are going to begin a new study. We're going to start in a new series for the month of Thanksgiving. For the month of Thanksgiving. <laughs> starting strong. Starting strong. See, this is what happens when you're in a parade and people throw candy at you. I never knew that could possibly happen. I was walking along and just got a whole handful of candy thrown at me. Been playing it wrong all along. Okay, the series this month, in December, yeah, thank you for giving me <laughs> is thankful beyond thanksgiving. Because we're moving into a time of year where we begin uh, to feel a little bit festive, and there's a lot that goes on in this time. And sometimes that we can get caught up in the materialistic nature of it, the consumerism that drives uh, this, uh, especially in our nation during this time period. But you know, we're coming off of a week and coming off of a holiday to where a lot of us did... Uh, you know, 30 days of thankfulness on social media. Uh, and we, we highlight and we have this heightened sense of being thankful for the things in our lives. And we, you know, want to make sure that thanksgiving and being thankful isn't something that we put into the periphery or, or into the recesses of our minds and our awareness as we move into this time of December. Because actually... What we celebrate in this month should cause our thankfulness to increase, not be pushed to the side. Amen? We're here to celebrate a Savior that came during this Advent season so that we could have a relationship with Him. Before I get to my scripture this morning, I want you, I want you to imagine, if you will, in, in the theater of your mind this morning, go back to December 2019, and one of your best friends from high school, maybe, college, you've not seen them in forever, they call, they want to have a cup of coffee. So you get together and you start talking, you catch up, you talk about how life's going, how are, how, how's the family, what's, what's going on in your world, what are you doing with your life. And after all of these kind of conversational formalities are out of the way, then the true conversation really begins. And this person looks at you, this friend that you've not seen in so long, they begin to tell you, it's like, you know, this, this may seem a little bit weird, but I've kind of got something that I need to talk to you about. Okay, what's up? Well, I, I feel like that there's some information about this year of 2020 and the year 2021 that I need to share with you. And then they begin just to spill out all of this stuff. You see, I, I just have a feeling that at the beginning of 2020, what we're going to see is we're going to see this worldwide pandemic released, and we're going to see lockdowns, we're going to see stay at home, we're going to see all of this quarantine thing, we're going to see a disease that we don't understand, we're going to see in this year 2020, we're going to see social justice movements rise, we're going to see uh, division happening within families, within communities, without, within churches, within believers, we're going to see all of these things taking place, we're going to see an election and, and, and a turmoil around an election like we've never seen before. We're going to see things that you've never even begun to think about. I mean, you're not even going to be able to find toilet paper. And aluminum cans, forget it. If you like aluminum, that's not going to happen for a while. And listen, you're only going to be able to go one way down an aisle at Walmart. And then you're going to look at people super judgy whenever they come the wrong way. 
I'm not saying I ever did that, but you're behind a shopping cart. Do you see the arrows? Okay. What would your reaction have been? If they're making this type of prediction... I think after you picked your mouth up off the floor and after you put the tinfoil hat on them, you're like, okay, ancient aliens, you know, Julio Sokolos there. And that, that says something about your pastor that I know the guy, you, you know who I'm talking about, the crazy hair guy off ancient aliens. Yeah, yeah. What would your impression be of that? I mean, I don't think that we would have been like, well, time's good seeing you. Thanks for the coffee. We got to go. See, it would have been crazy for somebody to make such, a, such an out-there prediction. But yet, here's what we've walked through. And I left a lot of stuff out of what we've experienced in these past couple years. But today I want us to talk about being thankful for wonder. Thankful for wonder. Because if we really think about why we're here, what we're celebrating... The basis of our faith, it is a story that is full of wonder. It is a story that's full of amazement, full of, even, of things that still to this day is hard for people to believe. Things that go beyond our capacity to reason is what we're celebrating this time of year. Whenever we look at it, think about it. How much sense, how much reason does it make that a baby... Is going to be conceived by a virgin. She's going to give birth. He's going to be the Messiah that came from heaven. He's going to be fully man, but yet he's going to be fully God at the same time. He's going to live a sinless life, but yet they're going to convict him in what basically equates to a mock trial. And then he's going to die on a cross, but don't worry. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to walk out of the tomb. He's going to hang around for 40 days. Then he's going to ascend back into heaven. And guess what? When he's there, he's going to hang out at the right hand of the Father. He's going to intercede on your behalf so your sins can be forgiven you. That way you can have a promise of an eternity in heaven. And guess what? He's coming back for his church. Now, if somebody was saying that over this same cup of coffee, and it hadn't have happened... Would that not be a tinfoil hat moment too? I mean, let's be honest. But this season is a season of wonder. Because what our Savior did for us defies all reason. And let's talk about predictions this morning. If you will, turn, to you, uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. That's the Old Testament. Isaiah, this is hundreds of years before the Advent season, hundreds of years before Jesus made his appearance here on earth, hundreds of years. So this is not something that Isaiah is going to be writing in real time. So if we, the first passage I want you to turn to is Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to be reading verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which Emmanuel means God with us. So here we have this prophet making a prediction hundreds of years before 
Jesus appears on this earth, and he's not only saying that he will come, but he gives the manner in which he comes, and as a sign that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now this story, this, the foundation of this story may sound a little bit familiar. Turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Pray with me, if you would, this morning. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be in your word today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the freedom that we have to be able to worship you. God, I pray that this morning, that up until this point, that everything that we have done has been to glorify you, and I pray that you are glorified in this message. So I ask right now, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Remove as much of Ben as possible and allow my voice to speak your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see the prediction. Isaiah seven fourteen. he makes the prophecy of the child, Emmanuel, being conceived, born of a virgin. Then Matthew chapter 1 records that, and there's a couple other places that we see that recorded that we'll look at also throughout this study. But what I want us to understand is just how wonderful of an event that this was. And this still is. Listen, how many of you have had a tough time during 2020 and 2021? few yeah i mean it's been rough right and i think that if there's ever a season ever a time that we need to be captured by the wonder of what is happening and what has happened what continues to happen as a result of jesus coming to this earth it's now and the wonder of isaiah's words the beauty of those is that they didn't stop in Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Isaiah goes on just a couple chapters later in chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there with me, we're going to spend the majority of our time here this morning talking about this passage. And we're going to look at the promises. So he's made the prediction, he's made the prophecy that a virgin shall conceive, shall bear a son, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, 
Isaiah, a couple chapters later, actually talks about the results. What's going to happen? What's the benefit? What's the ripple effect of this child being born? Chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Therefore, rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now you read that scripture initially, you go over that passage and you're kind of going, okay, what? what? What did I just read there? But there are four promises in this passage of the coming Messiah, of the result of this child being born that truly are wonderful and that we need to make sure that we are understanding and that we're clinging on to this morning. The first promise is that help is on the way. Help is on the way. We have a nation. We have a people. We have a group that are living in constant chaos and warfare and battle and things that are coming against them just over and over and over and over and over again. And Isaiah speaks these words that hope is on the way. Let's look at ver- or help is on the way. Let's look at verse 2 again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now remember, we're talking about hundreds of years before this child comes. But notice how Isaiah is writing. In what tense he is writing. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's not writing in a past tense. Or he is writing in the already accomplished tense. He's not writing in a present tense. He's not writing in a future tense. He's writing hundreds of years before this actually happens as if it has already taken place. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Church, this morning, if the people of God, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people at this time in the Old Testament could grasp on to this passage, this verse, and be encouraged by the fact that help is on the way, how much more should we who live in this time where Jesus has already come, where we know what he did for us, how much more should we be encouraged and delighted and filled with wonder that help has come? And help has not just come once, and then we're waiting for it to happen again. Help came, lived, as we talked about earlier, is coming again. But in the meantime, we have this promise, that his help is current. He is an ever present help in the time of our need and that's why you hear us talk about over and over and over again how important it is for us to focus 
on Jesus Christ. One of the reasons for that is because if you take your focus off of Jesus, then there is all kinds of things in your life surrounding you that will discourage you, that will defeat you, that will lead you into doubt and fear and despair. And those things are easy to get caught up in. But when we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, we still face the same things, but we know that we have an ever-present help in our times of chaos, in our times of trouble, in our times of trial, in our times of tribulation. We have our Savior who is current, who was and is and is to come. So be encouraged that we have a source of help this morning. The second promise is that joy is on the way. Joy is on its way. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Again, notice the tense. Notice the phrasing in this. You have multiplied. You have increase. They rejoice because they're glad when they divide the spoil. Hundreds of years before, we're seeing what's accomplished. We're seeing this prophecy. We're seeing this prediction. So if we recognize that help is on the way, that help is not only on the way in our lives, help is current in our lives, are we living in a way that shows that we recognize this source of help. Because if we do, that should lead us into joy. Joy in the midst of heartache. Joy in the midst of trouble. Joy in the midst of tribulation and suffering. Joy in the midst of a pandemic. Joy in the midst of uncertainty. Joy in the midst of confusion and division. Joy in the midst of financial hardships. Church, can I ask you to reflect this morning how much joy is visible in your life? Because all of us are at the end of this because we all have crops, so to speak, that we are waiting to harvest. We've got things that we're praying for. We've got longings of our hearts. We've got desires in our spirit. We've got all of these things that we want to see happen or want to see come about. And those are like planting seeds, waiting for the harvest. When we recognize that we have an ever-present help, then that should lead us to a lifestyle of joy that no matter what's going on around us, that you can change my circumstances, you can change the situations, you can change whatever you want to change. But in the words of Job, naked came I into this world, naked shall I depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's that source of joy that cannot be taken away from us. You can take away everything that you have. You can strip away every possession. You can strip away all money, all monetary gains. You can take houses. You can take families. You can take loved ones. You can take everything away from you. But the joy of Jesus Christ is one thing that the enemy cannot touch. And we are compelled to live with that joy no matter what we're facing because we have a savior who loves us the third thing victory is on the way victory is on the way verse 4 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This one really doesn't make sense until that last statement. On the day of Midian. Isaiah is referring back to the battle and the victory of Gideon against the Midianites. When Gideon amasses this army to go and fight against the Midianites, and God says, no, no, you got too many. And Gideon decides, like any of us would, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but like number one battle strategy advantage to have is more people. You know, the more people that you can have, the better. And God's going, you've got too many people. He trims it down. God's like, eh, it's better, but you've still got too many people. And, still got, and then he gets down to this little ragtag bunch of people, not, not even a blemish, not even a blip on the radar of the Midianites. And God's like, yep, right there. That's perfect. Go do it. And what happens? They're victorious over the Midianites. It's amazing how being obedient to what God wants you to do leads you to victory in your life. Novel concept. I want to trademark that one right here this morning. But obedience is better than sacrifice. And that's what Isaiah is referring to here. That as on the day of Midian, that the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, all of these are going to be broken. It may not feel like it. It may not seem like it's a reality. And the enemy wants to convince you that it's opposite of this. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, our enemy is powerless. He has no weapon that will prosper against God. Against the sacrifice and the blood of the living Savior, there is no weapon that will prosper. He wants you to think about that. You'll feel that way at times. You'll feel like the weight of what you're going through is far more than what you can ever handle or far more than what you can bear. But in the end, Christ will not allow anything to come upon you that you cannot handle through Him. Just like in the, in the victory at Midian, against the Midianites, that in, in situations where we feel all hope is lost, where there's no chance, where we may have thrown our hands up in despair, we may have taken the Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, his approach of, I quit. We may have just taken the Elijah thing of, man, I'm just going to lay down here and I'm going to die. Okay, we may get to that place, but understand that nothing through Jesus Christ, nothing that you will come up against is more powerful than our Savior. Amen? Nothing is more powerful than our Savior. Victory has come. I've made this statement a couple times, but I encourage you, if you haven't written it down or taken notes on I encourage you to do so, that as believers, we do not fight to obtain victory. Now, we fight. We fight battles each and every day. We just come off of a spiritual warfare armor of God thing. So it's a reality. We fight each and every day, but we do not fight to obtain victory. We fight to enforce victory. We fight to enforce the victory that Jesus Christ won on Calvary's cross. So think about that as you're fighting your battles, as you're going through your daily life and you're struggling with things, that victory has already happened. And the fourth promise that he makes in this is that celebration 
celebration is on the way. Verse 5. For every boot, every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. So how is this celebration? It was customary at this time for victorious armies to take their war clothes, no matter what shape that they were in, no matter how much damage had been done to them, no, much how, no matter how much blood had been shed, no matter how soaked they were, how dirty they were, they took them off and they threw them into the fire as a sign of victory. We are celebrating the fact that we have been victorious and we are burning these war garments. That's what's being referred to as there. Every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Folks, hang on. Take courage. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw your hands up. Don't fall into the trap of doubt, fear, and despair. Hang on, because there is a celebration coming for our Savior, with our Savior, and in our Savior, the likes of which we've never seen. And we're going to be able to take this life and everything that we fought for, every battle we fought, every scar that we have, every garment that's been damaged, every ounce of blood that's been spilled, and we're going to be able to take it and we're going to be able to cast it off in this celebration because we serve a victorious Savior. And that Savior's victory does not change over the course of time. His victory is as sure today as what it was the moment that he said it is finished. It will be as certain tomorrow as the moment when he stepped out of that grave. It'll be, it will be as certain the day that you move from this life to the eternal life. It will be as certain then as whenever he ascended into heaven, when he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. His victory never loses its power. Amen? And that is good news. So we have a source of help. We have a source of joy. We have a source of victory. And we have a source of celebration that Isaiah wrote about hundreds of years before he even came into the world. And if that was encouraging news then, how much more encouraging should that be for us today that we're living after Jesus came. So let's talk about the practice of this. Let's talk about our practices. Are, are we living, and, and please internalize these thoughts, but I'm going to ask them as a, as a whole church, as Mike said, the capital C church here. Are we living in a way that communicates the message that there is a source of help? Because as believers, as the church, we're not the only ones going through these things. There's a whole world out there that's going through the exact same things, and they're searching for answers. They're searching for solutions. They're searching for comfort. They're searching for help. And the question has to be asked through this time, have we given off a message of help, or have we caused greater hurt? Are we living in a way to show that help was born? That that's what we're celebrating this month? Are we living in a way that shows that there is a source of joy, unshakable, full of glory? That we have this inner peace that comes through the joy 
of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And that no matter what comes our way, that in all things rejoice and give thanks. Are you living a life that people could look at and see the joy of the Lord? Are you living a victorious life? Now this one can be dangerous because there's all type of prosperity stuff, there's all type of victory gospels that are not the gospel whatsoever. But are you living a life of victory in God? That shows that no matter what, no matter what, you can't take the victory away. You can take everything away. You could strip everything that I have, everything that I own, everything I hope to own, every possession that I've ever had, but you're never going to take away the victory in Jesus. And lastly, are we living in a way that we're showing that we're celebrating this? Because all of these things are wonderful. And they should inspire wonder in our lives. And we should live in celebration. Now, I'm not talking like cool in the gang. All right, celebrate good times, come on. All right, you know. But this, this lifestyle that separates us, this lifestyle that shows that there is a celebration in my Savior, that yes, I'm struggling. Yes, things are tough. Yes, yes, all of these things are happening. We're not acting like they don't. We're not acting like people are overreacting. We're not acting like this is, that we're not bothered by any of this stuff. Yeah, it happens. But you know what? I'm going to celebrate a risen Savior. I'm going to celebrate a Savior in my life that makes the difference no matter what I face. Church, we have help in Christ. We have joy in Christ. We have victory in Christ. And we can celebrate in Christ. And through this season, I want to encourage you to live out and live in a way that shows forth these four promises.